What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Sports with Puneet. Hope everyone is having a great day thus far and had a great weekend. And as always, thank you guys for joining me today. Today, we're going to be talking about Week 10 in the NFL. And if we have time, which I'm hoping we have time, we might even get into the NBA as the draft is in two days, free agency is this Friday, trades are happening. Woj is going crazy on ESPN with all the news, so hopefully we can talk about the NBA as well. But before we get into today's topics, there's a couple of things I'd like to address first. And the first one being is this will be the second to last episode of Sports with Puneet on MU Radio until second semester. So we got this show today, and then we got next Monday's show, which will be the last show of the first semester. And then when we come back January 25th, whatever the first Monday of that week is, Sports with Puneet will be back on MU Radio. But don't worry. If you still want to join Sports with Puneet during the break, I've got my own YouTube channel and a Spotify podcast, both called Sports with Puneet. Uh, the podcast is basically going to be like exactly like the MU Radio show. I record the episodes on my phone and then post them like that. So that's what the podcast will be like. And then the YouTube channel will be live streams of me just doing the show like usual. But also there'll be some added features as like sometimes there'll be a five to ten minute video of me just talking about a topic that I don't think is worthy for its own episode. But I still do want to talk about it. So that's what the YouTube channel will be about. And then the podcast is basically just going to be like MU Radio. And both of them, again, are sports with Puneet. So, but that's enough of that. And let's get into today's topics. And our first topic that we're going to talk about is the Packers versus Jaguars game. And so, first reactions were, it was a very sloppy game. I mean, when I was watching that game, it, the Packers looked like they didn't care at all. And we still got the win, but we barely got the win against the second worst team in the NFL. That's not good. And watching the game, like Lambeau, Lambeau Field is such a great home field advantage for the Packers, but there are no fans in Lambeau Field. And so the home field advantage of Lambeau Field, there is none. It just disappears. And it was just so dead in that stadium. It didn't feel like I was watching a regular season game. It, it felt like the atmosphere of a preseason game. It was just, it was not hype. It was not electric at all. And the Packers played very sloppy and they didn't even look like they were having a good time out there. But I've noticed something with Matt LaFleur's teams and us when, we're, when we come out flat compared to when we don't come out flat. If you go back to last year, when we had our bye week, we played the 49ers out of the bye week. So we had our bye week, we played the 49ers, we play the game, and we get blown out. And the 49ers were a much better team than us, but it was also coming out of a bye week, and we just looked flat in that game too. And coming out of a bye week, your team should be well-rested, they should be ready, they should be prepared to play this team, and we didn't look like that last year. But then you can, you can think that's a fluke, all right? That's one game. You can't make a decision off one game. And then this year, though, we had our bye week, and after the bye week, we're playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And what happens? We come out flat and lose 38-10. So both bye weeks Matt LaFleur's had, the week after the bye week, we get blown out. 
And that could just be like, oh, because we've been playing better teams. But the Packers don't look like their regular selves because we were good last year as well. And we didn't, we didn't look anything like our 13-3 and three selves against that 49ers team. And then against the Buccaneers, we looked nothing like our regular selves against them. And both of them were coming off a bye week. But then against the Jaguars yesterday, we came out flat again. And guess what? We had a Thursday night game which means the guys had 10 days of rest, so it's a nice little mini-buy, so it's a longer rest period than usual, and we come out flat again. And now, granted, we still won the game, but again, it's because we were playing the Jaguars, who are the second-worst team in the NFL. Most times when we play like that, we get blown out because we're playing better teams. And so, again, I don't know if it's something about culture or the guys get a little lazy when they have extra breaks, but... They have they've come out flat three times in a row when they've had extended breaks. And I don't know what that says about LaFleur. I don't know if that's something about coaching or culture. But it's not a good pattern, and hopefully it's not a pattern and just a coincidence. But while it was a sloppy game, there were definitely a couple of bright spots. And one of that being was our edge rushers finally got to the quarterback again. And... I'm not going to say that the Jags O-line is that great. They're more of a run-heavy O-line than a pass-blocking O-line. But we still got pressure, which is what you're supposed to do. When you have good edge rushers, you should get pressure against a bad O-line. And that's what we did. Throughout the game, we got got some nice pressures. But then towards the end of the game is what I really want to focus on. The last three Jaguars possessions, the Packers got pressure all three times. And while they, and they weren't even like sending blitz, they were a four-man rush every single time, and they got pressure. They, made, they sacked them back-to-back for, I think it was a 10-yard loss and then a 16-yard loss, and then uh, they were about to sack him, and he just threw it away. Nowhere. Packers win the game. So that was definitely nice to see. Um, but again, we can't read too much into it because it was the Jaguars, and that O-line is not that great. But it's good to see our guys actually make plays when it matters. And then MVS had himself a great game. We talked about it last week. It's the MVS roller coaster. Packers fans don't know when he's going to do what he did yesterday, which he had four receptions for 149 yards and a touchdown. Great numbers, MVS. Or he can have games where he just disappears and either gets zero catches or gets like two catches for 12 yards. And so, well, the, the problem with this is, is that, so we've talked about it being a roller coaster. And MVS has been very inconsistent. And when he has these games, or he has, like, certain spurts, like last week he was good and then yesterday he was good. So that's two back-to-back weeks. And he's had those before. And he has those two good back-to-back weeks. But then he disappears for, like, the next three or four games. And that's not, that's not like a script plan or like it's not like we're game planning away from MVS. It's just that he doesn't produce after he like his high, he get high highs, low lows. That's the best way to put it, honestly. But if you want to be the consistent number two wide receiver on the Packers or just in the NFL in general, you need to be consistent week in and week out. So this is going to be big. These next couple weeks are really going to be huge for MVS and determining whether or not he can actually be a number two wide receiver in the NFL. Because if he disappears again like he has in previous years, then I, me personally, I will 100% be like, okay, MVS will never be a number two wide receiver in the NFL. He never will. But if he's consistent 
and has a couple more good games. Like, he doesn't need to have four receptions for 149 yards and a TD for me to consider that a good game. Just get, like, a solid game, like five receptions for, like, 55 yards. I'll take that. Because usually he disappears, like, disappears. He'll either get, like, zero catches or one catch. So just consistency is what we need to see. But if he is not consistent, the good news is Alan Lazard is coming back this week against the Colts. Matt LaFleur didn't, didn't say it explicitly, but he heavily, he heavily implied that Alan Lazard will come off the IR this week and will make his first start since week three. So even if MVS does not pan out, Alan Lazard will be back. And I love Alan Lazard. I honestly think he can be the number two wide receiver in this offense. Aaron Rodgers loves him. And what I love about him is he just he catches the ball because I hate drops so much. Alan Lazard catches the ball, Rodgers trusts him, and he makes big plays. So hopefully when he comes back, we're looking good. And then the last thing I want to talk about about the Packers is David Bakhtiari. Because David Bakhtiari got paid yesterday. And I'm, I want to say first, I'm so happy for David Bakhtiari. And listen to this contract. So Bakhtiari got a four-year, $103.5 million deal with the Packers, and he has an extra $2 million in incentives. He's averaging $23 million a year, highest ever for an O-lineman in NFL history, $30 million signing bonus, and like I said before, he deserves this. David Bakhtiari. We, we can talk about his play on the field. He is a top five left tackle, and he's been a top five left tackle for the last five years. Let's talk about his impact off the field. He is such a funny guy. Like, what he brings to the locker room is unmatched. For example, if you didn't see this in yesterday's game, Tyler Irvin caught a ball, and he got tackled, and he went down on the floor, and someone did a little extra effort and, like, like hit him. Like, he didn't need to. He just needed to put two hands on him, and he would have been down. But, like, he, he put a little extra effort in it. And David Bakhtiari didn't like that because you didn't need to do that. Bakhtiari pushes. It was Miles Jack who did it. He pushes Miles Jack off him. Miles Jack does a little flop. But Bakhtiari stands up for every single one of his teammates. It doesn't matter. And then I obviously love him because he's been protecting Aaron Rodgers since 2013. I mean, what a steal in the fourth round to find a guy like David Bakhtiari who has earned every single one of his contract extensions, without a doubt, has earned every single one of his contract extensions. And he, besides the injury he just had, he broke his ribs a couple weeks ago. He's usually very healthy. He plays through injuries. And if anyone should be the highest paid O-lineman in the league, it should be David Bakhtiari right now. So I'm really happy that he got paid. But that's enough about the Packers. Next up, I want to talk about the Rams versus Seahawks game. And I just got to I got to say this. I watched that game yesterday and I already knew the Rams defense was good, don't get me wrong, but you guys know me. I'm more of an eye test type of guy. Wow. That Rams defense is elite. Like like honestly, I was looking at them. You saw Terrell Lewis making plays. Aaron Donald obviously is making plays. Leonard Floyd is making plays. Jalen Ramsey's Jalen Ramsey, Taylor Rapp. That team, that defense is stacked, and they played so well. They shut down the Seahawks. But then I was like, let me see what the stats are looking like. I, they passed the eye test. 
let's see if their stats are also that good because stats, while they can't be the only determinant, they do play a factor, and their stats are insane as well. They allow 296.4 yards per game, which is the second lowest in the NFL. They allow 198.7 pass yards per game, which is also the second lowest in the NFL. They allow 96.8 rush yards per game, fifth lowest in the NFL. They allow 18.7 points per game, second lowest in the NFL. And then that's great and all, but then I read this stat today. They have only allowed six scoring drives in the second half. Six. To put that in perspective, that's 13.3%. And what that number means is that out of all the offenses, all the possessions they've had going against that Rams defense, in the second half, they have a success rate of 13.3%. They've only scored six scoring drives. Throughout all eight games the Rams have played, that is absurd. Six scoring drives. So that means at most you've let up 42 points in the second half. At least you've let 18. That is a dominant defense. I mean, they shut down the Seahawks in the second half. And speaking, speaking about the Seahawks real quick, Russell Wilson is playing himself out of MVP candidacy right now. Again, we just talked about that Rams defense being insane. But Wilson looked disgusting against the Rams. I mean, he, had, he went 22 for 37, 248 yards, zero TDs, and two picks. And one of the picks was just a terrible play. But he doesn't even look like he's playing like the MVP. Like, that, that Rams defense manhandled the Seahawks. And before we move into the Seahawks, let me just say one more thing about the Rams. Brandon Staley... That defensive coordinator, I learned about him two weeks ago. I am a huge fan. He's revived Leonard Floyd's career. Terrell Lewis, the rookie, has been fantastic. And then he makes adjustments all throughout the game. And so what that does is offenses don't know what play, like what play he's running. He runs so many different schemes. So many, he changes things up. If, if whatever he called isn't working, he's going to change it up the next drive. And so offenses don't know what to predict. They, they don't know what, what the defense called. They have no idea what the defensive play is. So it keeps them guessing, and that helps a lot because you can get pressure quicker. You can get pressure real quick. And when you have Aaron Donald on your team too, guys like Leonard Floyd and Terrell Lewis will get a lot more sacks because they're not getting enough attention. So I wanted to give some love to Brandon Staley because he is a huge part as to why this Rams defense is good. But then now getting back to the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks are pretenders. I, we talked about contenders, pretenders like a couple weeks ago, and their defense is just so abysmal that I don't, they can't stop anyone. Like, I don't know how they win a playoff game. I, I could see so many teams in the NFC just dotting them up. And the problem is, is that Russell Wilson is great. He's a great quarterback. And yes, he's, he's, had, a, he's had three bad games, but he's still a great quarterback. And one of the reasons his turnover numbers are so high is that the defense is so bad for the Seahawks that Russell Wilson feels like he needs to score a touchdown every single play. And so he's starting to force things because he's like, all right, if we don't get, a, if we don't get points out of this drive right here, our defense is going to give up seven. And we're going to dig ourselves in a bigger hole or we're going to lose this lead or whatever the situation may be. And so Russell Wilson needs to start playing hero ball. 
and that's what he did. One of his picks, he was playing Hero Bowl last, uh, yesterday. He could have ran for a first down. They're at the Rams 22. It's a second and five. He easily could have got that five yards for a first down. Instead, he decides to throw it to Will Disley in the corner of the end zone. Intercepted. He could have had an easy first down and kept that drive going, but he's like, you know what? Let me get this touchdown right here. Turned out to be a pick. So Wilson is playing too much hero ball, and that's, that's not his fault because the defense can't stop anyone. So I personally would not be too scared of the Seahawks. You can, If Russell Wilson doesn't have a perfect game, the Seahawks will most likely lose. And that's sad to say for Russell Wilson, and I feel bad for him, but that's the reality of the situation. And next game I want to talk about is Cardinals versus Buffalo. Speaking about MVP candidates and Russell Wilson and all, who's winning MVP, man, Kyler Murray looks like an MVP. He looked like, if it wasn't for guys like Mahomes who are having great years uh, and guys like Rodgers, I think Murray wins the award this year. But there's so much competition going on. Because if, if you guys missed the last play of the Cardinals versus Bills game, wow, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. There is, it's the last play of the game, basically. For the Cardinals, it's the last play of the game. And so Kyler Murray, he rolls out, he scrambles to the left, he tosses one, he chucks one up in the air to DeAndre Hopkins, obviously. But DeAndre Hopkins is triple covered. He's triple covered. Murray just chucks it up there. Perfect spot right in DeAndre Hopkins' hands. And catch, touchdown, game over. It was electric. Like, because as a football fan, watching plays like those bring you so much joy because it's just electric. Everyone is going crazy. And Murray looked so great in that game. He had two rushing touchdowns. He ran all over the Bills when he needed to. And this Cardinals team is just so much fun to watch. Like, I love what Cliff Kingsbury is doing with that offense, the way he's using Kyler Murray, not only as a passer, but as a runner, the way he uses Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds, the way he uses Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk had a bad game yesterday, but the three weeks before that, Christian Kirk had been popping off. So I just, the offense is so much fun to watch. And then the Bills, rough loss, but Josh Allen is costing this Bills team with his turnovers. Like, Players make turnovers. That's not, like, I don't want to, I'm not, like, bagging on Josh Allen, but throughout his three years in the NFL, there has been one problem that people have pointed at, his inconsistency, and his inconsistency leads to turnovers. And he had two interceptions yesterday. And while one of them led to a Cardinals three and out, the other one led to a Kyler, Kyler Murray rushing TD. And the Bills lost 32-30. to 30. And so you don't throw that interception, and you could have won that game. And again, you can nitpick with everything. Like, I could, I could look at a game from five years ago and nitpick an interception and be like, oh, yeah, that's why they lost the game. But Josh Allen has been doing it so much and so consistently, like bad consistent. This is, this is not the type of consistency you want from your quarterback. He's been making so many turnovers and so many poor decisions. It's been costing the Bills. And some games, it doesn't cost them. But eventually, it's going to come back to bite you. And that's what it did against the Cardinals. So Josh Allen, very talented player. He needs to work on the decision-making. And if he does, if, if he works on that decision-making, the Bills will be very scary this year and for years to come, but this year.
But that's the NFL. Now, I want to talk about the NBA. And I am really excited for this week. Anyone who is an NBA fan should be super excited for this week because it is going to be a very, very fun week in the NBA. We got the NBA draft in two days, this Wednesday. We got free agency on Friday. Trades can be made today. Like, they can't be finalized till November 22nd, but they can be made today. It's going to be a fun week for NBA fans. And first, we're going to talk about the draft, which is also going to be super fun because me being a Bucks fan, I don't really care about who goes who and, like, who where Anthony Edwards go or where James Wiseman goes, I don't care. Like, I am just excited to see where people go because this draft class doesn't have a clear number one. Last year, everyone knew Zion was going one, and, like, everyone knew Ja was going to go two, and everyone knew R.J. Barrett was going to go three. And that's great and all, but when you're watching the draft, that doesn't make it exciting at all. No one has any idea who could go one. I mean, like, people have ideas, but there's no clear-cut number one. There's no clear-cut number two. There's no clear-cut number three. And so, I don't know, what, I don't know what's going to happen. And then there are going to be so many trades. So many people could be trading up, trading down. I mean, the Warriors could trade down. The Timberwolves could trade down. The Hawks want to trade down. Teams like the Celtics, who have three first-round picks, could trade up. I mean, it's, just, it's exciting to just think about all the moves that could happen. The Pistons could move down. The Wizards could want to move down. So, many, so much movement could happen. I'm not saying if it will happen, but I'm saying it could happen. And just the possibility of thinking about that is just fun. Like, before the draft, just thinking about a big trade could happen here. And then also, what stars are going to get moved, like, on draft night? I could definitely see guys like Drew Holiday get packaged to certain teams for picks. And whether that be a trade-up or a trade-down, I can, like, I could, if the, if the Warriors trade down, I would see Wiggins in that deal. So what players are going to get moved on draft night. And I've got, I don't know exactly what each team should do, but I do know what the Timberwolves should do at one, or at least I think I know what the Timberwolves should do at one. So the top three prospects of the draft this year has been LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards. And James Wiseman does not fit the Timberwolves whatsoever. And I know basketball is positionless basketball, but, like, he really does not fit the Timberwolves, like, any, in any form because they already have a center in Carl Anthony Towns, and Wiseman can't shoot, so you could not put him at four. You can't play those two together. And so I don't think they go Wiseman at one. And I don't think they go LaMelo at one either because they have D'Angelo Russell, and I don't know how they feel that fit will be between D'Angelo Russell and LaMelo Ball, two ball-dominant guards, who can't play defense or who are not that good at defense. I don't know how they're going to feel about that. And then Anthony Edwards. I don't like Anthony Edwards. I think Anthony Edwards is going to be a bust. He fits the Timberwolves the best in terms of like team needs. But first of all, he, pl- he doesn't play defense. He quits on plays incredibly early. And he can score, but he's not very efficient. Like his plus or minus was low. He did not, he did not do that much for the Indiana basketball program. Like, people thought that the Hoosiers were going to be really good with Anthony Edwards, and he didn't really do that much. He disappointed. And then, I, per- I personally don't like his kind of personality in ter- from what I've heard from interviews. I don't want to trash on a player, but, like, Anthony Edwards saying, like, 
oh, I think I'm the best player in this draft. And obviously, when you're asked that question, you're going to say that. But then there are some other things that are like, hey, like I, I heard, he said he, want, he thinks he's going to be the next D-Wade. Like, come on. Like, really? You're not even in the league, and you think you're going to be one of the best shooting guards of all time? Like, I love the confidence. I dig the confidence. But he hasn't even backed it up with his play. Like, he bails on defense. Like, if you want to be like D-Wade, show that you're a grinder and then say that stuff. But his confidence is like, where is it coming from? Like, we saw you play in Indiana, and you didn't do that much. You bailed on defense. And if a player doesn't play defense in college, you really think he's going to play it in the NBA? I, I see him as like a Wiggins-type guy who he can score. I think his scoring skills will easily translate to the NBA. But he just won't be able to play defense, and he'll become a defensive liability. So I think the Wolves should trade down and take either Denny Avedici or Obi Toppin. Here's why. You take Denny Avedici, he perfectly fits wherever you play him. You want to play him at the three, play him at the three. You want to play him at the four next to Towns, you can play him at the four. Have him as a stretch four. Avedici can shoot. He's a good playmaker, and he is a fun player to watch. He is a very fun player to watch. And with guys like D'Angelo Russell, Jared Culver, Malik Beasley, Carl Anthony Towns, I think Denny Avedici could do some damage. But you could also take Obi Toppin, who is a good fit next to Towns, because the fact that the Wolves have Carl Anthony Towns is such a big help because they don't need a stretch four. Like, you, you get Obi Toppin, you put him at power forward, you don't need him to shoot that many threes because Carl Anthony Towns spreads the floor as well because he is one of the best three-point shooting centers I've ever seen, and a lot of other people can attest to that. So you don't need a stretch four. So you can take a guy like Obi Toppin, who... I think you guys would struggle defensively, but he can bring some nice offense and he can bring some energy. You put him alongside Carl Anthony Towns, I think that'll open up the paint a little bit. Carl Anthony Towns can get some more threes. So I would rather do that than spend my first... Because then you're also getting more assets if you trade down. I would rather do that, trade down and get some more assets and draft Denny or Obi Toppin than using my number one pick on a guy like Anthony Edwards or Lomelo. And again, I'm not, I'm not a scout, I'm not a draft expert, so I honestly couldn't tell you. Like, it's already so hard for scouts to decide who is good. That's why you see busts all the time. Like, people actually thought that guy was going to be good. So who am I to say exactly who's going to be great? But from what I've seen, just by watching film and from watching their college games or with Avedici watching him play in, um, in Israel... They look like better players than what Obi Top, no, what uh, Anthony Edwards and Lamella Ball will give you. But that's enough about the draft. Next up, we got trades, and tr- the trade season already happened. I mean, Chris Paul got traded to the Suns, which we're gonna talk about shortly. But who could get traded? James Harden could demand a trade. He could go to the Brooklyn Nets, and the Brooklyn Nets have the assets to get a guy like James Harden. You give, him, you give the Rockets Dinwiddie, Lavert, Jared Allen, a couple first-round picks, and Harden is like, I, wanna, I want out of Houston, the Rockets are going to make that deal and send him to Brooklyn. Where's, where's Westbrook going? I don't know. New York, Charlotte. Some people are saying Clippers. I hope he doesn't go to the Bucks. If he goes to the Bucks, that will be bad. And then Drew Holiday. I really want Drew Holiday on the Milwaukee Bucks, but I heard that the Celtics might be trading for him. 
There's so many pieces that could get traded. And CP3 already got traded. And I love that move by the Phoenix Suns. They, tr- they gave away Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre Jr., Jalen Le- Leck, I can't really pronounce his last name, Ty Jerome, and a 20-22nd first-round pick for Chris Paul and Abdel Nader. Their biggest loss in this move is Kelly Oubre Jr. Because you traded away Rick- Ricky Rubio, but you're getting CP3 back, so you don't need Ricky Rubio. Then you tossed in two bench players and a 2022nd first-round pick, which if this trade works out, you're assuming that that 2022nd first-round pick is going to be a high pick, like in the third, a late pick, I should say. Like, you're assuming it's not going to be a pick that you need. So I really like this move for the Suns, and their biggest loss is Kelly Oubre Jr., not because of the position he plays, but more because of the culture that he brought. This Phoenix Suns team is such a young team, and they go, they go by Valley Boys. And it's, it's become a culture there where they're just like, yeah, we're young, but we're good at basketball, and we like to have a good time, and, but we also like to win basketball games. And Kelly Oubre was a big part of that culture, so losing him will hurt the culture change, but it won't hurt it that much. You got guys like Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. They're all Valley boys. They're all young, and they're all great. And then the West is so stacked. That here, here's why the Suns made the deal, in my opinion. I think the Suns made this deal because they're, they're looking at the West, and they're like, wow, the Western Conference is stacked. And yeah, we went 8-0 in the bubble, but I don't know if we're a playoff team because think about it like this. We look at last year's playoff teams. All right, you got the Lakers, who were the first seed. They're making the playoffs again. So that's one spot gone. You got the Clippers. They're making it again. Two spots gone. Nuggets. They're making it again. The fourth seed was the Rockets. Say the Rockets implode. It doesn't matter. The Warriors are going to take that spot. You got four playoff teams. Then you got the Thunder. All right. The Thunder implode. Then you got the Jazz. Should make the playoffs again. And the Mavericks. You got six like playoff teams in the West that you're like, I would be shocked if they missed the playoffs. But then you got Portland, the Grizzlies, the Suns, Kings, Pelicans, Timberwolves, Spurs. I, if they want to be competitive, there is so much competition. Damian Lillard could will his way into the playoffs again. John Morant and Jaron Jackson are looking scary in Memphis. Now you got the Suns, the Kings, De'Aaron Fox and Morgan, Marvin Bagley. Who knows? Pelicans, Zion, Brandon Ingram. Lonzo, Lonzo Ball is not that great. But they got a nice young core in New Orleans. There are so many possible playoff teams in the West that the Suns getting Chris Paul just put them ahead of all these younger teams. Guys, teams like the Pelicans, the Kings, the Grizzlies, they're great. They, they are great, don't get me wrong, and they have bright futures, but they don't have that leader like Chris Paul because Chris Paul is a different type of leader when it comes to basketball. So I really like this trade for the Suns because if they want to do something in the West, they knew that they needed a guy like Chris Paul, a leader. Because he is also going to teach Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton and Michael Bridges, Cam Johnson. He's going to teach them so much that even when he leaves, because he's old, even when he retires, those guys will have playoff experience and they will have learned from Chris Paul. So I think that's a great trade for the Suns. But that's all we got for today. As always, thank you guys for joining me. Hopefully... The draft goes as expected because I'm really excited for that. 
but we're a little bit over the 8.30 mark. Thank you guys so much for joining me. As always, Monday, 8 to 8.30 Central Time, 9 to 9.30 Eastern Time. Come hop on MU Radio and talk sports with me. Reminder, turn down the volume. I'm about to shut this off in 10 seconds. Music is going to blast in your ears. So just a quick reminder. But thank you guys so much. I'm out. Peace.